We're going to do something uh, fun this morning. Uh, it's interesting for me in my own process of preparation of uh, reading the Scripture uh, as I prepare to share the Scripture with you. There are times where I really, uh, I really have to like work to like understand what I'm going to do or how I'm going to approach a particular text, um, what it is that God wants to say from a particular story. And then there's other times where it's just... Uh, a real fun read, real sort of obvious conclusions, and those conclusions resonate immediately with my heart, and that's where I'm at this morning. This is a real fun story, um, but I want to tell you what I'm after this morning uh, through this story. I'm going to tell you what we're after. I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to kind of back, go back and unpack a couple of things from the story. How many of you here this morning, just maybe with a verbal amen, how many of you would like to encounter God's power in your life? Okay. This is for you this morning. What I'm going to offer you this morning, actually what what Acts 3 and 4, 3 and 4 are going to offer you this morning uh, is, is really, truly a very simple pathway uh, for you to encounter the power of God in your life. And when I say simple, I do not mean easy. There's a difference, right? There are things that are complicated. There are things that are simple. Some of the things that are simple, not complicated, simple, are still very difficult. What I'm going to offer you this morning is not a difficult pathway, it's an impossible one. And yet, it's so simple, and you could step in this direction and encounter God in your life. So here's the story. We came off of last week, remember the gift of the Holy Spirit? Wasn't that a great story? Oh man. Tongues of fire, rushing wind, God gives the gift of His Spirit. He has sanctified as holy his new temple, right, which is the people of God individually and collectively. Man, what a great story. And I, and I imagine, of course, that this was like mind-blowing for the followers of Jesus, right? Like, oh, this is what he meant. And so what happens immediately is that uh, the followers of Jesus, they start sort of like... Uh, flexing their muscles a little bit with the Holy Spirit, right? Like, I wonder, I wonder exactly what this means and, and what we can do now that we have the Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, let's go try some things, right? And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the story from Acts chapter 3 to the first uh, half of chapter 4. Uh, if you want, you can, uh, you can read along in the story. You can just track with me and then go back through it in detail. But here's the story. Uh, Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' closest friends uh, during his time on earth, two of his closest buddies, uh, they went up uh, at the ninth hour to pray, which is about 3 p.m. during the day. They went up to uh, the temple to spend some time in prayer. And uh, there was a man who was at the temple when they arrived at the temple. And this man was about 40 years old. Uh, he had been born lame. 
Uh, we don't know exactly what his condition was, uh, but we, knew, we know that he was unable to walk, and he had been unable to walk from birth. And so what would happen is that every day, someone, we don't know who, but someone would carry this man uh, to the gate of the temple where he would uh, beg for charity, uh, hoping that maybe those who were coming to meet with God would also be the kind of people who would be compelled to be generous to someone in need, right? And so he was placed there at the gate that was actually called, uh, the gate was called Gate Beautiful. And uh, so here come Peter and John, they're walking. Uh, this man sees Peter and John, and he asks them for some financial assistance. And they respond, uh, we, don't, we actually don't have any money, um, but uh, we have Jesus, so let's try something. This is a pretty bold move, I'm going to be honest. This is a very bold move. Peter reached down, and he grabbed the man by the hand, and ignoring 40 years of precedent, he said, in the name of Jesus, I want you to walk. And it says that he grabbed him by the hand and, and lurched him and lunged him to his feet. Which is kind of putting yourself out there, right? things don't go as planned, that's called abuse. <laughs> it says that the man landed on his feet and was healed. And they said, hey, uh, we're going to pray in the temple. You want to come? It says that the man walked with them into the temple and was uh, so excited about his newly discovered ability, it actually says that he started jumping. Uh, if you had never walked, uh, it, it, it probably is a sad experience of yours to watch other people jump, having never tried it, right? And so he immediately graduates from walking to jumping. And as he's walking and leaping around the temple, he's giving Jesus credit for what happened to him, which is problematic in that environment. They're not friendly. They just killed him, remember? It says that he was, uh, he was clinging to the disciples, right? Um, and what happened was, is people quickly recognized that this is the guy that we know. We've seen this guy. This is the guy that's been lame since he was a baby, and now he's walking. And so, of course, naturally what happened is that uh, a, a crowd sort of formed around the disciples, and they're, they're, they're amazed by this, and, and Peter and John respond and say, hey, listen, don't, don't, be, don't be amazed by us. We don't have any power of our own. We don't have any piety that would warrant this. Uh, this, was, this was done by Jesus. And then Peter says this, and I love this. It's my favorite part of the story. Because Peter, Peter is the guy in the first couple of chapters of Acts that's doing all of the preaching. And there's one fixture that's the same in every one of his sermons, and it's this. He says to the crowd that's, that's assembled, Jesus is the one who healed this man. 
the same one that you crucified, that you killed, that you traded for a murderer, and that God raised from the grave according to his plan from the beginning of all eternity for your salvation. You could be saved today if you want. So as they're interacting with this crowd and explaining who Jesus was, the power by which this miracle was accomplished, the leaders show up. The Jewish leaders along with the Sadducees. And the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. So they find this teaching to be a little problematic that Jesus has been raised and that he promises resurrection to us. And so they approach these men, Peter and John, and they say, uh, you need to knock it off. You can't be talking about Jesus around here. And it says that they uh, arrested the two of them and put them in prison for the night, um, which is, I mean, that's one way to end a great sermon, right? It's been a while since I've actually been thrown in jail uh, for a sermon here this morning. Well, there's a couple, I think, maybe a few years ago that would have qualified, but anyways. Uh, they're thrown in prison, and then it says uh, they were left there for the evening, and then the next day they're brought out. But before they're brought out, the leaders are having this discussion. They're trying to decide what to do, and here's their predicament. Say, we can't actually deny that there's this man who's been lame for 40 years that now can walk. That's a problem. So... Let's just tell them to stop giving Jesus credit for it and, and warn them severely. And so uh, they bring uh, Peter and John before them, and they say, So, uh, who, who do you say healed this man? And <laughs> Peter says, Jesus did. The one you crucified. The one that you killed. The one that, that gave his life for your salvation. He's the one who rose from the grave, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and has healed this man now. And they said, yeah, that's the part you can't talk about anymore. That's, that's the part that you, sh you cannot say. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. <laughs> and Peter says, well... Whether we should listen to you or listen to God, you be the judge. Also, we very much intend to continue talking about Jesus everywhere that we go. And the leader said, yeah, 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 just stop. Go home. And they sent them on their way. Isn't that a great story? So here's the simple, the roadmap. I'm going to give it to you all at once, and then I'm going to break it into three parts. The roadmap for those who want to encounter the power of God. Go where there is no hope. Go when you have nothing to give, and engage like you have nothing to lose.
Go to places, go to people, go into situations where there is no hope. Go when you do not in your own strength possess the solution. Go when you have nothing to give and engage like you have nothing to lose. This is where you will encounter the power of God. So number one, go where there is no hope. The lame man in this story is truly desperate. There is no social security disability. There is no Medicaid. There are no trial medications or operations that he could qualify for. There's no food bank. There's no homeless shelter. There's only today the potential of begging for enough money to feed myself for today. That's it. Go where there is no hope. Even if you're on the way somewhere and you encounter hopelessness, and actually the story tells us that Peter and John stopped and gave this man their attention. They made a deliberate decision on their way to do something, something valuable and something important. They made a decision in that moment to stop and give attention to this man in a hopeless situation. Go where there is no hope. I would suggest, and I think the scripture bears this out, that this is fundamentally where Christians are called to go again and again and again and again. In fact, the scripture seems to suggest that it is fundamentally an indicator of our genuine faith that we go to those who have no hope. In fact, the scripture calls into question the faith of people who don't go to those with no hope. Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You know what the second half of that story is, right? To those who ignored me, depart from me. I never knew you. 
And they say, wait, when did we come across to you in a hopeless situation? And he says, every hopeless situation you encountered. This is what's amazing to me. This is the promise of the scripture, is that we look at a situation that seems, that seems beyond repair, beyond fixing, beyond correcting. It's hopeless. And we go, man, I, if I engage in that situation or with that person or in this circle, whatever it is, if I, if I really go there, what if God doesn't meet me there? Well, according to Matthew 25, he's already there. He says, I was the one that you were feeding. I was the one that you were clothing. I was the one that was helpless and hopeless that you reached out to help. So God's already present there in that situation. Isaiah 58, is this not the fast which I choose? I don't want you. This is a correction he's offering to the people of Israel. Stop. Uh, foregoing food, this is what I want instead, for you to loosen the bonds of wickedness, of injustice, of oppression, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? To not see need and pretend that you don't see it. This is what I want from you. I want you to go to those who are helpless and hopeless. We as believers are called as a habit of our life as a way of living to rush into hopeless situations, to embrace hopeless people. To take on hopeless challenges. And if you right now this morning find yourself bored in your walk with God, tired of a lack of his power and presence, maybe it is because in part you make decisions that keep you in a safe position of not needing him to work in a powerful way. If you only step into what you already know to be manageable, do you actually need God to appear there in that situation? Go boldly where there is no hope. Say, well, I avoid those kinds of situations because... I'm just so made aware of my own limitations. I don't have what's required. Number two, go where there is no hope and go when you have nothing to give. Go into hopeless situations when you don't have the solution. 
What's the first thing that Paul and Peter, or sorry, Peter and John said that they don't have? First of all, they said, we don't have any money. And they didn't mean like, I don't have any cash on me. They didn't mean like, I don't have it in my budget. We don't have any money. We used to make money. We were fishermen. And we did something crazy. We abandoned that to follow a particular call that Jesus placed on our lives. We got no money. Because they had already given away everything. But there's two other things that they, that they state that they don't have in verse 12. They say, secondly, not only do we not have money to help this person, but we don't have power to heal this person. We have no supernatural power of our own by which we could bring about this result. It's not ours. And then thirdly, and this to me is so critical as a reassurance, they said, it is not by our power nor by our piety. Meaning, this didn't happen because we're super spiritual people. Just in case you've forgotten, I'm the guy last month that cussed out the girl who accused me of being friends with Jesus. And then I lied and said that I was not, that I'd never met him. So Peter says quite confidently, not only do I not possess the power to make this miracle come about, I don't possess the piety by which I could demand that God do it on my behalf. I'm unqualified in every sense of the word. I'll tell you why we don't go where there's no hope. Because we're all waiting until we're skilled enough and mature enough and qualified enough and spiritual enough. Don't just go where there is no hope. Go when you have nothing to give. I find myself craving a certainty as I pursue ministry opportunities, craving a certainty doesn't actually require the Holy Spirit to show up. I want to know ahead of time that I've got this figured out before I engage. It's foolishness. 2 Corinthians 4. For it was God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. He's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. We have the light of God 
We have this treasure in earthen vessels, weak, corruptible vessels. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We possess the presence of God, the light of Christ, in broken vessels as a reminder that it is His power through us, not our power. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. If you're going to walk into situations where there's no hope and you have nothing to give, you're going to be perplexed at times, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be manifest in our body. It's the power of Jesus in me. Peter and John engage a situation where there's no hope. They engage a situation where they have nothing to offer, nothing to give, nothing that would qualify them to be the solution. And I want to be clear about something. What Peter and John experienced as an outcome, the power of God at work in their lives, is because they had given their lives for his purposes. Let me tell you the point that I'm not making. What I'm not saying is that a person should set impossible achievement goals for themselves and then assume that God will miraculously bring them about. I've decided I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 18. So help me God. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to really go after it. And God's just going to have to show up to make it happen. That's fine. If you want to be an 18-year-old millionaire, let's go for it. I want to be your friend. And who knows? Maybe God is on board with that. Maybe he's not. I tell you where, what he is on board with. You giving your lives away for those who are hopeless. You can take to the, that to the bank all day long. He's going to be there. He's going to meet you there. He's going to meet you in that place. Peter and John were simply saying yes to the call to take up their cross, to bear the sufferings of others, to embrace the hopeless even though they have nothing to offer, to be the presence of Christ there. You know why I have the best job in the world? I mean, not to draw comparisons, but I do have a better job than most of you. <laughs> it's because I'm surrounded by people who are going into places where there's no hope, where they know they have nothing to give. And number three, they're engaging like they have nothing to lose. 
It's awe-inspiring. I love it. Because again and again and again, God shows up in miraculous ways. Dwayne and Beth Kloss, what are you doing in Homer, Alaska? It's crazy, right? And yet God called you and, and, and sent you into the villages into an impossible situation where there is no hope, where, where they know that they're not the solution, right? But Jesus is to just go after that as if we have nothing to lose and then to hear the testimonies of God opening doors. It's amazing. It's miraculous. They're not here this morning, but you guys know about Bill and Sue Wilkinson? Golly, aren't they great? You know why they're here in Homer, Alaska? It's because they said, okay, here's this thing that we feel God's called us to. It's absolutely impossible. There's no way that it can come about. We don't have the solution for it. But there is a need, and we feel God has called us to meet this need, to fill this need. And so they just brought it to the Lord and witnessed his power. You guys have heard some of his testimony. Witnessed the power of God opening doors for them. And we just sort of are like the fringe beneficiaries of that, right, here at Church on the Rock. Dory, you remember our first conversation eight years ago, nine years ago? You know what would be cool is if there was like qualified, credentialed Christian counselors in Homer. Gosh, that seems like an impossible task. So much training goes into that. I've watched Tom and Dory both in separate with Set Free and with, with Cornerstone uh, make themselves available to God to accomplish the impossible, knowing that they don't possess what is required to bring about what God wants to bring about. And yet I've watched them go after it like they have nothing to lose. You met God along the way a few times? Peter and John were just saying, yes, God, you've called us. Let's do this. It is exactly the impossible nature of the assignment that God has given us that brings us into a truly amazing and life-changing experience of God's presence and power. And if every time that you come up against the edge of impossibility, you take a step back, that may be why you, you continually don't experience his supernatural power in your life. Because your life doesn't require it as you walk in obedience to him. Go where there is no hope. Go when you have nothing to give and engage like you have nothing to lose. 
Acts 4. This is the end of the story. And when they, the religious leaders, had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop it. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What could you threaten us with? A one-way ticket to be right now with Jesus forever and eternity? What is the worst that we stand to lose? Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever forfeits his life for my sake will actually find it. We engage like we have nothing to lose because we recognize that we have everything to gain. Right? Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever I would suffer as loss now cannot be compared to what I will gain then. I remember hearing from a missionary who worked in the slums of the Philippines. Incredibly hopeless situation that God had called him to. And he said... When people come to join me in what I do, I have to let them know in advance so that they can make a careful decision. You may not return home with your sanity intact. It's that difficult. What you're going to experience is that difficult. Is that a price you're willing to pay? And he was was up front to recognize not everyone is called to that kind of ministry, right? But there is going to be a price that you're going to pay. And those who said yes, said yes, because they believe this truth that the sufferings that we endure now cannot be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. A bunch of us gathered last night, actually the last three nights, to pray uh, for the future of our church, our church organization. We're at an interesting place right now. Uh, We're on a firm footing to go do some new things, to have an impact in some new ways. This is my invitation to you, and this is what our leaders are pursuing. This is an individual invitation and a corporate one. Let's do something impossible with God. Doesn't that sound fun? That'd be great. And if you link arms with that, whether it be in your own life or it be collectively with us, this is what I know for sure. I, I, I will take this to the bank all day, every day, that if in laying down your life for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, you go to where there is no hope, recognizing that you are not the solution, but engage like you have nothing to lose, you will encounter the Holy Spirit of God there in that place like you've not encountered him before. He will meet you there and do things that are surprising and far beyond 
what you could merit or generate through your own righteousness and power. Because that's the kind of God we serve. There is not a single thing that he has called you to that he has not supernaturally equipped you for. Invite the worship team up. You can do this as a practice with those who are lost and destitute. If you're a believer, if you, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, and you are not currently interacting with, involved with, someone who is hopeless and destitute, you best get busy. Because time is running out. That's what you're called to. There's such a liberty going into those situations knowing that I'm not the solution. But I have the risen, the resurrected Christ with me, His Holy Spirit enabling me. So I can reach out and serve and care and love. You can do this in the context of our church. In this room right now, there are a whole range of hopeless situations represented. And if you walk in on a Sunday and just say hi, and then walk out and say bye, you're missing the opportunity. Seek it out. Go find hopelessness and engage even though you're not the answer. And meet Christ in that place as you care for others, as you serve others, as you embrace others. You can do this in your own home, in the place where hopelessness has taken root. In the place where not only has hopelessness taken root, but you know that you have nothing to offer to solve what's broken. I would say in those places, the promise of the Holy Spirit, engage like you have nothing to lose. And you will meet him there. I know because I've met him there so many times. And I'm friends with so many who have met him there too. He will meet you. We're going to come before the Lord now uh, as a church. We're going to worship together, come into his presence with praise, sing to him. I want you to deal with the Lord right now. Lord, where are you calling me to engage where there is no hope? Take some deliberate action, some steps of obedience. We're going to have prayer team ministry members over here uh, off to the side. They would love to pray with you for anything, any need that you have of any kind. They would love to join with you. We hear testimonies all the time of God uh, mending what is broken, healing what is ailing, um, encouraging what is despairing, and they'd love to join with you towards that end. We have communion around the room. We celebrate the body and blood of Jesus. You have offering receptacles. You can worship through giving. Would you guys stand?
God, we need your, your reinvigorating grace in our lives to be your hands and feet on this earth, in this community, in our church, in our homes, that we would be the smiling face of Christ God, we need your Holy Spirit. Without whom we are wholly insufficient. With whom and through whom we are more than conquerors. So we say yes. look to you. We ask that you would come even now. In Jesus' name. Introducing that song, I felt like uh, God's moving on some of your guys' hearts, and I want to provide that space for you to respond to the Lord. So I'd like for you guys just to take 30 seconds and close your eyes, present yourself to the Lord however it's best for you. You know, I, you can put your hands out to receive or, or whatever's best for you. And a lot of times I approach the Lord as a, as a confession. Like, Lord, I confess that you make, you make impossible things possible. And that you call me to crazy things. And I have only just to say yes and give my best effort knowing that you, you bring hope where there's hopelessness. And you make a way where there is no way. You are the way maker. Just go ahead and take just a, another 30 seconds. You can just continue in the Lord. And then we're going to sing that bridge.